This is the second week of our Lenten series, all about offense and offensive behavior. Now, there are three key facts about offense that form the foundation of this series. First fact, offenses are inevitable. Second fact, offenses are a trap. Third fact, we have a choice about how we handle offenses. I remember in my freshman year of college, I was 18 and fresh out of high school. I had a knack for being a wisecracker. In one of my courses, I apparently had wisecracked a little too much. My teacher called me sophomoric. I took it as a compliment, being as I was a freshman. However, when I looked up the meaning and realized it meant pretentious, juvenile, and immature, I immediately became offended, as you might imagine. I had to sit with that for a couple of days because my teacher said it on a Friday and we didn't have class again until Monday. I thought about it all weekend. I nourished and nurtured that offense. I wouldn't let it go. Basically, the exact opposite of what I'm telling you to do today. So let's look at We want to look at a truth to hold on to when we are tempted to hold on to offense instead. The reason offenses can grab hold of our hearts is because they can become all-encompassing. When you are hurt or feel hurt by an offense, you can come to see a whole relationship through the lens of the offense. You can come to view the whole person through the lens of the offense. You can come to view the whole world through the lens of that offense. Pain grabs our attention and focuses it. This can be good because pain tells us something is wrong and that we need to address it. But it also brings a danger if we only focus on the pain for too long or handle it in an unhealthy way. This one truth we are looking at today can give you a more proper perspective on offenses so that you see them in the right context and it could change your life. It's one we see presented in often in Scripture, perhaps most clearly explained in Paul's letter to the Romans, which we just read from in our Sunday readings. The letter itself is usually regarded as one of the most important of Paul's letters. Paul writes this, We know in everything God works for good for those who love him, who are called to his purpose. Paul says that in everything that happens to us, God works for good for those who love him. Do you know what everything means in the original Greek? Well, it means everything. In everything that happens to us, God is working for good. Imagine how life would be experienced if we really believed that. Notice what it does not say, though. It does not say that everything that happens in life is good. Clearly, there's evil in this world. As if we needed any proof, just think about the current pa pandemic or things like mass shootings or plane crashes. There are bad things that happen to all of us that are not a part of God's plan. Because there is a difference between God's perfect will and God's permissive will. In God's perfect will, there is no sin or evil. But God has shaped us with free will. And once God gives free will, people can choose evil or good again and again. And they do. So much so that we find ourselves in a sin-stained world where bad things happen to good people. So Paul isn't saying that everything that happens is good, but he is saying that in every situation, 
good and bad, God is working on our behalf to bring about something good. Anyone can bring good out of good. God brings good out of evil. God is always working good for those who love him. Notice, however, that we know in everything God works for good with those who love him, who are called to his purpose. We have to work with him. We have to be on the lookout for how, when, where to work with God so that he can bring good out of the offenses we suffer. Sometimes we don't get what we want. Our plans don't work out. It's confusing. It's disappointing. Until we recognize that God protected us from an unfortunate commitment. He's directed us around and away from a serious misstep. Or he spared us an incredible embarrassment. Sometimes something bad happens to us. God uses that bad situation to introduce a better situation. You lose a job that you probably really didn't like anyway. Then God helps you find one that really means something to you. A relationship you invested in heavily falls apart. For a while it wrecks you until God introduces you to his match for you. Even an illness, disease, or a death can bring a family together or restore friendships. Sometimes those things happen. Sometimes they don't. But in every situation, God is working to bring goodness and growth in our character to help us to be conformed to the image of his son. When it comes to an offense, maybe God allowed it because he wants you to grow, to be more like his son. Someone has gossiped about you and God is teaching you to be more like his son who was called names and remained undisturbed. God wants you to be like that. Someone says something very unflattering and God is teaching you to be more like his son who was accused of some very unflattering things and yet still loved his enemies. And God wants you to be like that. Someone disagreed with you, and God wants you to be more like his son, who took time to understand others, rather than insisting on being understood. God wants you to be like that. In all situations, God is working for our good. He's working for our good to make us more like his son. And so Paul concludes with a couple of rhetorical questions. What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, Who can be against us? If God is for us, then people standing against us or even working against us are ultimately of no consequence. Think about it. God says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all, will he not give us everything else with him? God held nothing back when he sent his son. He isn't likely to hold out on us now. We're invited to accept that truth. Offenses don't define you, but they can't con- and they can't control you. On this second Sunday of Lent, we always hear the story of the Transfiguration, Jesus' dazzling transformation for his friends, his divinity shining through his humanity. This revelation is meant to strengthen their faith in anticipation of the scandal of the cross, to their wonderment. The apostles are suddenly exposed to a higher reality, a more complete reality. At last, they see things as they really are. When we're offended, how much we've been offended, we're not, however much we've been offended, we're not seeing things as they really are. 
So my invitation to you is to memorize Romans 8.31, but make it a little more personal. Memorize it like this. If God is for me, who can be against me? The next time you are offended by someone else and are tempted to take the offense into your heart or realize that you have harbored an offense, repeat that verse. If God is for me, who can be against me? Offenses never have to have the last word. Not when we have God's word. God's blessing on you.